Hello, and welcome to Short Talks from the Hill, a podcast from the University of Arkansas. My name is Matt McGowan. On this episode, Davis McCombs, poet, professor, and director of the program in creative writing and translation at the University of Arkansas, will read selections from Lore, his most recent book of poetry. Davis McCombs, welcome to Short Talks from the Hill, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Matt, and thanks for having me here. I'm going to read three poems today. Uh, They're all from my latest collection called Lore. Uh, This is my third book of poetry. My first two books, um, the poems in those books were set almost exclusively in the small region of Kentucky where I grew up. It's an area known as the Caveland of Kentucky. And then 15 years ago, we moved here. Um, And that displacement had the sort of terrifying effect of producing several years of silence. I didn't really understand this place. I didn't, uh, I certainly didn't know how to write poems about it. And then all of that changed with the poems in this particular book. Uh, This first poem I'll read is called Trundle. um, And it, like several of the poems in the book, sort of has to do with that process of feeling my way into writing poems about the Ozarks and of beginning to feel at home here. Trundle. I dream so often now across this vast plateau, the broken dome of granite. I've come to call the Ozarks home. Some nights I find the bent shape of the great bull brooding starrily over our field, the sky turning like spokes above a herd of winter-thinning deer who fold up with frost on their ribs to sleep. And I think of people I never knew. There's Ma Earl on a straw mattress fighting to bring her seventh and final child into these hills, a boy at last after six little girls. And there's the father, old Satch, staggering around the barn with a mason jar half full of the liquid that will drown him, and praying, sweet and merciful Savior, oh, please, for a son. And there's little Kit at the foot of her trundle about to be supplanted. She's saying her own prayer, that the baby, christened Azariah but known as Scuppernong, Oh, Jesus, can you hear me? I'll do anything. We'll die. He doesn't. And ten years later, more or less, he'll be cleaning a shotgun. It's so easy now to see the burnished light in the orchard, the yellow jackets heckling the windfall apples, maw on the porch shelling beans. I can hear the pings they make against the pan and then the explosion. No doctor near, and not a dime to their names. His foot will never heal, not properly. And so it's Scup now who knocks once at my office door and enters as the last orange glow retracts across the boxwood out the window. Gonna be a cold one, professor, and hobbles in with his four-legged cane to empty my small trash can 
into a larger one with wheels. About three years ago, we had a colony of bees build in the outside wall of Kemple Hall, which is the building where I work here on campus. And this was above the loading dock where many of us enter the building. And there's a dumpster there. And the bees became very territorial about this dumpster. Um, if you walk past, they would definitely let you know that you had strayed into their territory. And one day I was in the hall talking to my friend and colleague John Duval, um, and John said that he'd heard of apple blossom honey, uh, but he'd never heard of dumpster honey. And I loved that phrase so much uh, that I wrote this poem called Dumpster Honey, uh, and of course this poem is for John. Dumpster Honey. The bees were working the contents of the fenced-in metal trash bin, zigging and scribbling past the goo of candy wrappers and the sticky rims of dented cans, entering as they might a blossom, the ketchup-smeared burger boxes and the mold-fuzzed, half-eaten fruity snack packs, those food-grade waxes mingling with band-aids and a limp, we're number one foam finger, while on top of the disposable wet mop redolent of solvents and fresheners, the FD and C red number 40 non-toxic food pigment leaked from a bloated dip packet where the bees were buzzing and collecting the high fructose corn nectars of that uncompacted jumble and returning smudged with the dust of industrial pollens to perhaps some rusted tailpipe hive where their queen grew fat on the froth of artificial sweeteners out back of the little oily gas station in the middle of Arkansas where we pulled off to change the baby's diaper and had to ask for the key they kept on a giant ring. The last poem I'll read is the final poem in the book. Uh, it's a poem called Old Stith, and I preface this poem with two lines from Thomas Gray's magnificent elegy written in a country churchyard. Uh, this is a poem I've known almost my entire life. My father uh, used to read it to me when I was a child. The lines that I've chosen are these. Perhaps in this neglected spot is laid some heart once pregnant with celestial fire. And, you know, I come from a, a place that many people would consider a neglected spot. And I mean this poem in many ways to be a tribute to artists uh, may live and die unknown and unrecognized. Old Stith. Surely there was work enough, a lifetime's labor here for a practical man. But old Stith must have wandered away from all of that. The scythe that needed sharpening or the fence that sagged where the deer had jumped it. Once, Charlotte came up from the woods with twelve white pebbles she discovered in a bois d'arc's knot. Old Stith, who else? The kind of man who'd dig up cedars and transplant them in a ring on the farm's highest knob. Sometimes I enter 
their mesh of branches now, when snow is falling crookedly. And he must have used a tractor, how else, to upend that limestone splinter by the pond and set its base in concrete. On summer afternoons, the shadow of its finger points across the water, and the little fish swim up into its shade to feed. What else? Our first spring here, I followed water sliding down the mountain to where its current hinged off the bluff and found a tulip poplar rigged with seven nail-punched buckets to catch the flow as it filtered down and splattered on a tablet of stone he must have placed there. What kind of man would dream a water clock like this? or hang a shard of glass on twine to catch the sunlight beaming through the hayloft's diamond cutout. Old Stith was dead and gone two years before we came here. But I like to think he thought of us, that he was tapping out a message. I lie awake some nights when rain rehearses the gutter's lines. But soon I'm thinking of his bucket rungs, that tin unbuttoning tumble as I climb down into the notch of sleep, of dreams, and find myself, where else, right here. That was great, Davis. Thank you again for coming in today and sharing your work with us. Music for Short Talks from the Hill was written and performed by Ben Harris, guitar instructor at the University of Arkansas. For more information and additional podcasts, go to KUAF.com or researchfrontiers.uark.edu, the home of research news at the University of Arkansas.